today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Suffice to say that COVID-19, again, seems to be dominating the news cycle, uh, probably for all the wrong reasons. I mean, we talked about, you know, the the recovery phase that was going on here and what we've been doing here in Ontario and and on a national basis. But uh, the concern began, I guess, last week when uh, we started to notice uh, a constant uptick in the number of new cases of COVID. And that should send up red flags, and it certainly has uh, sent up red flags right across the province. Uh, and not just here in Ontario, by the way. This is obviously something that we've been worried about and been talking about for quite some time. Uh, and that being, of course, that second wave of COVID-19. We see that Israel is now just embarking on a second total shutdown. Uh, the UK considering doing something like that. I, we're not at that point yet. I don't think so anyway, although we haven't heard from the Premier today. But what is happening now? We're seeing over the last number of days these increases in case numbers right now. Uh, let's uh, try to get a, a hold on exactly what's happening and why it's happening. Uh, to that end, we're pleased to welcome back to the program uh, Dr. Ahmad Firas Khalid, a medical doctor and health policy expert. Uh, doctor, thank you so much for the time. Glad you could join us today. Thank you for having me. Great to speak to you again. Are you alarmed by these numbers? Uh, relatively, yes, uh, but not that surprised to be honest, because I think we were expecting that numbers as, as schools reopen and the fall term, which is technically what we're in now academically, that we will see an increase in the numbers. Uh, now, whether we're going to have a massive spike like we did with the beginning of the pandemic is the real question. And what we're suspecting will happen is that we're going to see a gradual increase in the numbers that will happen over a longer period of time. And in a way, as, as alarming as that could be on our health systems and the burden we'll put on it, it is definitely was an expectation. I know that every policymaker and healthcare providers who are out there in the field are expecting the spike in the numbers, and we'll be looking out for them in order to make sure that our systems are able to adapt and move quick. Now, with that in mind, I think you know when we've talked about this in the past about what might happen come fall, and now we're into it. Of course, with back to school. Uh, I, I think the expectation a lot of people have ahead, doctor, is okay. We're going to see a, 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 a maybe not a spike, but an increase. But it's, we figured it was going to be, you know, academic-related. I mean, kids that are going back to school. Uh, yet it seems to be the uh, demographic that's a little bit older than that. So it seems to be uh, the main concern here. I, I guess the, the, the question we've got right now is, uh, did, did we take this too lightly? Did we just figure the worst is over? I think that actually speaks to our need to reinforce our public health interventions and the messages we've been putting out. I think what we're noticing is that some people, I don't want to generalize here and say that everybody, because I think there's a good number of people who are still uh, sticking to public health interventions and advice of our public health professionals of safe hand hygiene, wearing face masks. But there is a sub-pocket of population who who still are not taking the virus as seriously or have been taking the virus seriously and relaxed their measures of preventing COVID-19 transmissions to themselves and others. And those are the people that really this message is going out to them to say that those numbers are alarming and we need to make sure that we buckle down and go back to being very diligent about sticking to our public health interventions. The the race towards ending COVID-19 is not over yet. Uh, And we've said this many times before, we're all in it together as a team, from everybody involved in public to the policymakers to the government decision makers. We're all trying to do the best that we can given the current circumstances. And given that we're reopened schools right now, it's really more important than ever that we really strengthen those measures and we put them in place widely and we disseminate the message about the importance of sticking to COVID-19 prevention strategies. It's not as if we haven't been warned about this, though, is it, Doctor? I mean, experts like yourself and, and others over the last week or 10 days or so have, have, you know, 
suggested that they, they what they see and what they're hearing anecdotally uh, indicates that a lot of people may be just taking things for granted. Maybe we're getting a little sloppy when it comes to our protocol, the things that we should be doing. Uh, and we've heard examples of that. And I guess these numbers that we've seen really just kind of validate the concern that a lot of people had already. Well, yeah, and I think it also speaks to human nature. You know, like I, I think, Bill, what ends up happening is that many people have not either uh, been affected by COVID-19 directly or had a family member affected by COVID-19. I mean, the numbers are there to tell us that, that like, there's a very good proportion of our population that have been affected. But if you yourself personally have not been affected by it, you do, after a while, we know this from studies that human behavior tends to relax sort of their warning signs. And they, they think to themselves that, well, I shouldn't be worried because I didn't get COVID-19. It's been months. I don't know anybody directly who got it. So I think that's also is happening. That's one element of what's going on. Uh, and I think people are just also tired. I think it's been months of us dealing with COVID-19 and we have to call it for what it is. I think there's a good number of people out there who think that, you know, we've been through this for so long now, I'm going to just relax my intervention. So this is not to put blame on anybody. I think we have to be very careful with the blame game here. We don't want to fall in the same trap we did back in March where there was some you know, finger pointing towards certain individuals. I think we just have to continuously over and over again, talk about the numbers, talk about the evidence, talk about the data and highlight to people that the race is not over and that, you know, come fall where we are already expecting a higher number of cases given the seasonal change in the weather, although COVID-19 is not affected by, by weather, but we're reopening things, right? Schools have reopened and reopening gradually. And so, that's going to cause an increase in the community transmission of COVID-19 because there's no more human contact, which means we actually have to be even stronger with our messages and really raise those alarms frequently. You know, I'm, I'm trying to piece this together as we've had conversations with so many people over the last couple of months uh, about, as you say, the, the things that we're supposed to be doing as, as average citizens, and of course being face masking, uh, washing hands and social distancing. Uh, face masking, I think, is, is pretty much generally accepted now. A lot of communities, of course, have mandated that. A lot of stores have mandated, you know, no, no mask, no service, that sort of thing. And, and, and by and large, I think we're okay with that. But I think where we seem to be falling short here is now is on the social distancing. And I think it's, it's premised on the fact that what I've heard from a lot of people anyway is, well, I'm wearing a mask. I don't have to stay two meters apart anymore. That's ridiculous. Well, yeah, it is ridiculous for two reasons. Primarily because are you really wearing your face mask the whole entire time when you are in a crowd? And is it properly being adjusted on your face? So that we're not seeing that to be unanimous across the country. I mean, you know, some people wear the face mask and take it off when it's a bit too hard to breathe in. And I agree, it is hard to breathe in those face masks. Nobody will say that they're 100% comfortable wearing them. We went from, a, from a, an environment where none of us had to wear them or were expected to wear them to not being mandated to wear them in that particular transition time. So I agree with you. I think that, you know, what is very interesting here, Bill, is that the message about what we need to be taken in order for us to protect ourselves against COVID-19 has not changed. We, you know, we're still saying safe hand hygiene, social distancing, and face masks uh, are the way forward and have shown to be effective. What is changing is people's how much are they sticking to those guidelines and where do they actually not stick to them? And you're right. You're absolutely right. I think social distancing is the one element where people seem to be relaxing their sort of jurisdictions or their rights around them. So people are more comfortable now getting in larger groups. And I think when we talk about the second wave, when that does happen, 
Uh, I mean, yes, we're seeing gradual increase in that numbers. I think this is where it's going to be the big part. We're going to look into policymakers putting into place probably stricter measures about how many people are out to get together in a group. That, I think, is what the direction is going to be, not a full lockdown. Well, and we've already had that uh, conversation. The premier suggested that that may be something he's uh, he's going to have to reconsider. Uh, we've seen it happen in Israel. We've seen it happen in other jurisdictions, too. Uh, and, and it seems to be, I guess, the, the, the concern. Uh, when you look at these numbers, though, that we've had, it's, I, I know that, you know, the glass is half full, the glass is half empty sort of thing. You're going to say it's only been four days, but it's four days of significant increases, uh, over 200 cases, uh, new cases in each of those four days. Uh, how bad can this get now, given the fact that we already know what it can do in a worst-case scenario if we don't comply with these sorts of things? Uh, does this serve as a wake-up call for us, doctor, or are we just going to have to batten down the hatches and, and, and expect that uh, we're going to see, oh, well, I'd hate to ha- see it happen, but a return to, the, to the, the shutdown protocols or at least some variation of that? Well, I think it is a very big warning sign. And we're seeing, I mean, Israel aside, we're seeing it within our own country, British Columbia and Vancouver specifically, has gone through some measures of a lockdown because they've seen an, a massive increase in the numbers uh, that really alarmed the community there. And so bars are not allowed to serve alcohol past 10 o'clock to prevent social gathering of people. Uh, they're reinforcing their face mask. In Ontario, I think we've been good in terms of you know, slowly and progressively opening things up, really reinforcing that message. But people should take this as, you know, the race is not over against COVID-19. I'll repeat what I always said, Bill. COVID-19 does not care that we are trying to get back to normal life. It care, it's a virus that's looking for a human host. And if we provide that for it, it will continue to replicate itself and be within our community. And until a vaccine is in the market or an effective treatment that really gets us way ahead of this, we're going to continue on this race. And I know that patience is wearing thin with everybody involved, but that is just the reality that we're living in now. The hope and the positive news is that those measures that we've been talking about do work. The effectiveness is there. The question becomes how, uh, how much in compliance are we going to be of those interventions? And can we together as a community really be the example that others can look at and say, look, Ontario did a great job and they continue to do a great job. And I think that's the hope that everybody's more hoping for now. And, and you're right. I think there's kind of a false sense of security. Some people are saying, come on, it's been eight or nine months now and I never got it. So what are the chances? Well, the chances are still pretty significant. But the other aspect of this that I wanted you to comment on, doctor, is uh, the pressure that it could put on, well, healthcare facilities, as a for instance. I mean, it, have we already forgotten about the, the crisis situation that we were in with hospitals that had to shut down surgeries, uh, long-term care facilities that had to limit or, in some cases, eliminate visitation by loved ones and family members? I mean, I, well, that seems to be something that, that was, we seem to have forgotten. But that, if we're going to go, go back and, and to a par- even partial lockdown, that could be a consequence. And we, I don't think we want to go down that road again, do we? We absolutely don't want to get back there. I mean, when we talk about our health system, this is the crucial element. Is that We want to make sure that our health system can, you know, sustain this damage to it over a long period of time. And we go back, we're going to probably hear the words flatten the curve once again at some mm-hmm. point. Uh, but I think that you're right. I think, but also we have to keep in mind that our health system is a strong one. It's a resilient one. And it's one that has sustained many damages over a very long time period of time, including COVID-19. So I do believe that that we build the capacity in our system now to withstand a possible spike in the numbers. 
that doesn't mean we want that. That's not the goal here. We're not trying to test our system. We're trying to make sure that our system can serve our vulnerable populations and people who need access to it uh, at, a, at a very urgent times. And so we need to make sure that we keep in mind our healthcare providers who are working tirelessly around the clock uh, to make sure that that doesn't happen again and that people's health needs are being addressed. We have to remember, Bill, that many people who are waiting for surgeries and treatments that were put on hold during COVID-19 are now just starting to try to get access back to the system. And so we need to keep our system functioning well to serve those people that desperately need the care they, they, they deserve. I mean, I know we are in a better place than we were last February, March. I mean, we, there was a shortage of PPE. Uh, we seem to have, have, have done something about that. There's a lot more of that being produced on, in Canada now, which is always good news. Uh, there was a shortage of ventilators. Uh, there's also, I, I think, as you've talked about with us in the past, doctor, uh, better treatment uh, capabilities. I mean, you know, the experts, you and other doctors and nurses, know more about the virus now and, and, and can treat it. We, we can't cure it yet, certainly, but, but the treatment facilities and the treatment methodologies have improved immensely over the last few months. Yeah, and when I speak to my healthcare provider uh, friends and colleagues who are out there treating patients, they tell you that they are learning more and more and that knowledge is translating to better clinical care. So I applaud my colleagues who are out there in the hospitals really doing the hard work of making sure they're educated with that. And from our perspective, health policy experts and everybody else, we're trying to support them. We're trying to make sure that they have access to the best reliable evidence and to really disseminate the knowledge in the public about how to lessen the force or strength or the pressure on the system so that they can able to do their job effectively. So I think we're all learning as we come along. And we have to remember that I know it feels like eternity of this COVID-19, but this pandemic has not been a year yet. And the evidence is still emerging on the most effective treatments and side effects of some of those treatments and populations that we need to keep an eye on. And that, uh, that evidence, Bill, I can assure you, is coming out strong and fast. Uh, and in huge volumes, and many, many different people are trying to decipher that evidence to figure out what's valid and what works best for our community. We just need everybody else, the public support to allow us to you know, be able to do that. And for us to do that, we need to keep the numbers low so we're not in a reactive phase, we're more in a better planning phase so that in case of the second wave happening, we're ready for it. Well, and your point's well taken. I mean, you know, we as a public have a responsibility uh, to do all this, to buy time for, for the researchers like yourself to, to, to be able to, to defeat this thing. Uh, but we're not doing a very good job. We've kind of dropped the ball on this. So here's hoping that this does serve as a wake-up call. Doctor, always reassuring to, uh, to talk with you when uh, things get a little rough here. I appreciate your time today. and I know we'll stay in touch. Thank you very much, Bill. Have a great week. Talk to you soon. You too. Take care. Uh, Dr. Ahmad Khalid, of course, medical doctor and health policy expert. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. I know that there are parents who are listening to this right now who are going to say, I told you so. I did. We had concerns about this uh, because, let's face it, I mean, since the end of July when the Ontario government rolled out their back-to-school program, they did the whole procedure and protocol that they were going to follow, uh, a number of parents' groups and educators, of course, uh, expressed some concern about the actual environment within the schools and whether or not the kids are going to be safe. Well, we've seen a spike in those numbers as well. As a matter of fact, a Hagersville school had a, a case of COVID-19. A release was sent out uh, by the school board, of course, that said the school has been re-cleaned and anybody who's been in contact with that individual uh, is supposed to self-isolate. But what are parents supposed to do? I mean, that's, that's Hagersville. It's happening in other areas in London as well. We're going to talk about that and get the update on what's happening there uh, with some university students. But uh, it's, it's, I think, not helpful in, in a situation where a lot of people are a little apprehensive to begin with when you start seeing numbers like this. 
Uh, I want to bring Annie Kidder into the conversation, Executive Director of People for Education. Annie, uh, thanks so Hi. much for the time. Glad you could join <laughs> us today. Hi. Uh, here I am, and thank you very much. Well, we're going to try to get through this somehow, okay. some way. Loving here with regrets that I never got my engineering degree and got into radio instead, but we'll, we'll figure <laughs> something out here. Uh, when we see these cases and the spike, and I know that the you know the, the professionals, uh, Dr. Williams for the you know, Ontario Medical Officer of Health and others, uh, Andy, have said, look, this is going to happen. Your kids are going to go back to school. We're going to see this. But uh, if it's your kid, it's a big deal. If it's anybody's kid, it's a big deal. Uh, you know, we're starting to see those numbers increase, not just in, in the areas around the Hamilton, London areas, but uh, right across the country. Um, what does that do to the learning environment in a situation like this? When uh, I know teachers are certainly apprehensive. I'm not so sure that students are. I guess, you know, them that have had conversations about it, too. But it doesn't seem to be a very healthy environment psychologically, let alone uh, academically. Well, I, I think you're right about that, about the environment psychologically. I think, you know, everybody is worried. Everybody's worried whether they have kids in school or not. There's a kind of atmosphere of, you know, what's going to happen next. That's sort of one thing. I think there's widespread agreement that the best thing is for kids to be back in school. And and one of the biggest reasons that that's the best thing is that it ensures that um, that nobody's falling incredibly behind or falling through the cracks. And schools are the place that can provide everybody rich, poor, no matter what language they speak or where they live, with a fairly equitable chance for success. So that part's really important because we're already seeing widening, widening gaps in terms of equity. So schools need really need to be open, but we do need to um, ensure that it is as safe as possible. And I think we're just seeing now new numbers in the Peel board just yesterday said suddenly we have 10,000 more people saying they're going to keep their kids home and do online learning. So it's a little bit of a vote of non-confidence. And I think that what we need to do now is go, okay, how have we done everything that we can? And this really goes back to are the class sizes small enough? Are there enough teachers? Are there enough support staff? So have we done everything we can? inside the education system? I would argue, no, not quite. But also, what are we doing about the community spread? And I think um, that, that we, we have to be looking there too. And if, if it's true that part of the spread is coming from bars, restaurants, nightclubs, uh, big, big weddings, wherever, we need to actually make sure that we have a little bit a slightly tougher policy about how we're limiting that because everybody, everybody, European countries everywhere said it's the community spread that you've got to get down first. So yes, it's scary if there's one case in a school, there definitely is going to be, but we have to make sure that so health, municipalities, all of that is looking at the community spread and that end in schools that we are trying to make sure that we are can keep those you know quote unquote bubbles small enough that parents feel comfortable sending their kids back well and your point's well taken i mean you know we've looked at those numbers and 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 the concerns that were raised by health experts to say look at when the kids go back you're probably going to see some spikes well the yeah. virus had to it was someplace i mean are the parents doing everything they can uh, you know, the, the child who tests positive may well simply be a vessel for this virus uh, because mom and dad were out at, at a party or at a gathering that they probably shouldn't have been out to uh, and stayed too long and these sorts of things. And they expose themselves to the virus. So, you know, notwithstanding the fact that the kids are back in school right now, uh, I think the point's well taken that we've all got to just sharpen our game a little bit here because we've been getting a little sloppy. 
But I think then the messaging has to be clearer because I, I'm, I'm, I, I too, it's like, oh, you have to, you still have to wash your hands. Like I'm forgetting too. So I think that the signal that comes from saying, you know what, we're actually going to, we're going to limit by way more the number of people who could be together because now I think it's a hundred. It's like, we can't do that. That's wrong. So we need, I think there needs to be leadership. It needs to be pretty darn firm uh, from the provincial level saying, yeah, we're actually going to cut this back. We're already seeing a slight increase. Let's just pull back a bit. And it's not enough to just say, everybody out there, be more careful. We need those signals. And those signals come from policy. Uh, they come from the, the leadership. And I think that, you know, just, and this is a tiny little surge, but it's a surge nonetheless, and it could keep going. And it's like, let's pull back right now then on the community pieces so that then I, as a parent, am not having to figure out it's like if this is safe then is this safe too like we can't yeah we need that and we need that from the experts and i think i think they've been a little bit firmer in other provinces about you know the sort of direct (laughs) instruction um and i i think we need to hear that here in ontario well and yeah that's all about leadership and and the sorts of things that Mm -hmm. have to be done and you're right i mean they've been Let's face it, uh, there, are, there are penalties that are supposed to be in place for this. I don't know that too yeah. many municipalities have actually enforced those. Uh, there's been the odd ticket that's been handed out. But, I mean, if you see somebody who's doing something you're not supposed to do, uh, I know the premier took a lot of heat last week, and he suggested, you know, call somebody if you see somebody, a neighbor yeah. or something, which I'm tantamount to a snitch line. But at the same time, we're talking about public health here. Yeah, but I, I mean, I drove by you know, yesterday um, people getting out of church. There were, like, 200 of them. Half of them weren't wearing masks. They were all standing very close together. And I thought, you know, and I understand people's desire to, to go back to, you know, worship, but it, it looked incredibly unsafe to me. And I thought, what is this? <laughs> you know, why is this happening? So I, I think that it's things like that. And the messaging needs to be a lot clearer. Um, and and it's not it's not the snitching as much as it is the limits. And right now, as far as I can remember, the limit is 100. That may be too many because then you go, mm, is this 100, no, 150, whatever, we're okay. Yeah, so I, I think it does have to be pulled back a bit. Well, yeah, and, and that's a, 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 an element of common sense that we have to be aware of as well. Uh, just switching back to the education environment now, into the school situation, uh, is it about time uh, to to have a discussion about, or is it too soon to have a discussion about how things are going and look at these numbers and say, should we tweak this or tweak that? The government's always said that they were willing to do that. Uh, it's it's actually, I guess, the London schools are just starting this week. Uh, some of the other jurisdictions have been there for about a week or so, but they've already seen a blip. Uh, are we overreacting to this? Um, I think that I think more than tweaking, I think, yes, everybody has to sit down and look because there's a there's an even bigger worry, which is that we are seeing um, a really substantial proportion of parents who who have decided not to send their kids to school because they feel that they're not safe. And and in, in the Toronto numbers anyway, are showing those parents are more likely to be in the communities where there's a high, high percentage of COVID cases, but also communities where they are have lower average family incomes where they where they may already have been struggling and it, they need support and they need it right now this week we, they, we don't need somebody to sit down in two months and look at this that needs to be looked at right away too so it's not tweaking it's like i hope there's like you know constant looking at the numbers going okay because i think we have a real emergency in 
Um, in the kids that are staying home, do they have enough support? Is the online learning, learning ready? Um, boards are, the Peel board yesterday said, we're sorry, we're totally not ready now. We just got 10,000 more kids learning online than we thought. Um, we, we have to delay for a whole nother week to figure it out. So it's, you know, we're in that situation. Well, and therein lies the problem. I mean, you know, I, I know that especially at the elementary school level, there's a great deal of concern about remote learning and whether or not it's it's the, the yeah. best optimal thing for them in a situation like that. And, uh, yeah. you know, I, I, I want everybody back in the classroom too, but if parents are unsure about that, uh, I think we have to have that discussion. And that's uh, you're right. The government yeah. has to take the lead here and just say, you know what? We, Absolutely. You know, uh, governments hate to ever say we were wrong. They just said maybe we didn't go far enough. That's that's all they have to say. I, yeah, and let's start I that think conversation. so. And then, but then let's address it now. Absolutely, I, Andy. Always a pleasure. Thanks thank so much. You. For this. Okay, Stay healthy. Okay. okay. Bye bye. Hi, Annie Kidder, Executive Director of People for Education, talking about the concern that's happening uh, at the elementary and high school level. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Now, we have a problem here uh, about, obviously, the, the increase in the number of, uh, of cases, new cases of COVID. And I know the city is very cognizant of that. And uh, at the same time, we're looking at the delicate balance of trying to to deal with that as we need to, of course, of a public safety issue. But at the same time, a a very fragile economy. And bars and restaurants uh, seem to get singled out an awful lot of the time because of the people that are crowding into those places. Well, the city of Hamilton, of course, uh, to their credit, uh, made an amendment to bylaws that had to do with outdoor patios a few months ago. And I think it was been very successful by and large. Uh, the weather is turning colder, and what a lot of restaurateurs were saying is, look, at you know, if this thing comes and goes and we, we can't do this anymore, uh, they're worried about their survival. Well, uh, Hamilton is now looking into whether or not they could extend uh, the temporary patios uh, into the winter months uh, and whether or not it's going to be a viable option. Uh, Jason Thorne is the uh, General Manager of Economic, Economic Development for the City of Hamilton, uh, joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Jason, thanks for the time. Good to have you with us today. Good morning, Bill. Thanks for inviting me. I have no problem at all putting on a ski jacket and sitting in an outdoor patio, but uh, uh, and I don't know if it's going to come to that. But uh, you know, the old like, adage, I guess, Jason, about desperate times call for desperate measures. We know that we're not out of the COVID crisis yet. Uh, we know that, uh, that that bar and restaurant owners are looking for a little help here. Is, is this a, an idea that you think actually can bridge some of those concerns? I, I think it is. And, and like you said, Bill, not something that's going to be for everybody. Um, but certainly, uh, you know, some people don't mind if uh, you, you, you put on a coat or you put a uh, you bring a blanket and wrap it around your shoulders. Then you can actually extend the patio season, um, I think, pretty substantially. And it's it, it's not something um, that that's unique to Canada. We, we see it in other winter cities around the world where there's maybe a bit more of a of a, of a winter outdoor patio culture that you see this kind of thing happening. And, and there's things that, that bars and restaurants and cafes can do to make it a little bit more comfortable for their, their patrons to sit outdoors, maybe not every day through the winter, certainly not in some of our big storm days, but we have enough mild days in the winter that uh, if that creates some additional opportunities, um, then I think that would just be uh, uh, another thing that's helpful for our businesses. Well, you know, Jason, as, as I heard about this and the extension, I, by the way, I think it's a, an excellent idea. The first picture came to my mind was, uh, well, Blue Mountain, you know, where a lot of people from this area uh, go and spend weekends during the winter months, and they, they love the skiing and the winter sports that they have up there. Uh, the patios, are by and large, some of them anyway, and some of those establishments up there are open. There are people that are using those in the winter. So, I mean, if you're of that mindset, I mean, why not? I guess that's the first question. The other one is, what kind of feedback are you getting from the, the business owners about this? Are, are they asking for this, or is it just something that you put forth to them? 
Uh, so I, I think the ski chalets is a great example. Uh, probably lots of people are familiar with, uh, with being able to sit outdoors um, in, in, in some of our ski chalets. Um, and they've come up with different ways of designing their patios that make that a little bit more comfortable. Um, and yes, we are hearing from the business owners that this is something they're interested in. So through the summer, we ended up with um, uh, something over 160 uh, businesses um, had applied for and took part in uh, the summer outdoor patio program. Um, as anybody who walked around the street to the city, they were, the, those patios were in all different shapes and sizes and locations. The business owners got very creative about how to uh, create a bit of extra space outdoors. Um, and we've just started surveying those businesses just to get a sense of um, how important that program was to them through the summer and whether or not they think it would be valuable to continue it through the winter. And we're, we're, we're just starting to receive those responses back. Um, but the preliminary feedback is that there is certainly a lot of interest uh, in, in at least giving it a try through the winter um, and certainly a lot of feedback that through the summer, um, these patios were extremely important to the viability of those businesses. Yeah, I heard that too, anecdotally, from some of the restaurateurs that I've talked to, Jason. They, they said this was the lifeline they really needed uh, to, to get you know back on their feet. Uh, they're nowhere near where they want to be right now, and there's no indication exactly when this is going to you know subside but to any great extent. Uh, but I, I think this is a fabulous idea. I guess the question is, uh, from a, a, a legislative standpoint now, how do you enact this? Do you just automatically pass an extension to the existing law, bylaw rather? Uh, so it is something that we're, based on the feedback we get from the businesses, we um, we have um, cause I've had some members of council asking as well about the program. Um, and so we will be coming back to council at the beginning of October with some uh, um, um, some analysis of, of the, the summer program and some recommendations for the winter. One of the key things that council did to make the summer program possible um, was to relax some of the zoning requirements about where you can and cannot have patios. Um, in Hamilton, that was done to December 31st. So some cities which did similar things um, put a shorter timeline on that. Um, so we already have that in place till December 31st. Um, but it would require an extension through the winter if we want to go longer than that with some of those res- relaxed um, zoning standards about, about where those patios can be located, um, as well as um, some um, um, additional permissions for providing for some of the patios on on city space, like uh, sidewalks, alleyways, uh, things like that. So um, we would have to look at an extension to those, um, and that's something that we'll be, we'll be bringing forward to council at the beginning of October. Yeah, I mean, what comes to mind immediately is snow clearing uh, on some of those streets, as to whether or not that's going to have an impact on that. Clearly, if there's a uh, you know a, a, a portion of the patio that's going to be on city property, you have to wonder about that. But uh, you can cross that bridge, I guess, when you get to it from that standpoint. The other element to this, though, I know you got to go I just, very quickly, uh, the reason a lot of those restrictions uh, and parameters were put in place, uh, of course, was because of concerns with net noise and things of this nature. Uh, have you had any negative feedback about this, Jason? Have people in community accepted that this is this is fine? I mean, it might not be as quiet as you may have in your neighborhood, but at least these people are staying open, and that's that's a win-win for people. Yeah, and we we have had a, had a I would say a very small number of noise complaints. Um, if you if you look at 160 patios across the city, then the number of noise complaints we've had has been really quite small, and those have been able to be resolved. You know, sometimes it's just a question of maybe you move your seating, reduce the seating, put in some yeah. some some noise mitigation. There, there's things that can be done when those issues arise. Um, so uh, yeah, there's been a little bit of that, but for the most part, I got to say the restaurant owners, the business owners have been great. They realize that their success of their businesses depends on them being good neighbors, and so they've been uh, very quick to put in any sort of mitigating measures um, if those issues uh, creep up. 
Jason, great idea. Here's hoping that uh, that this is just another uh, brick in the wall of, of building back the confidence for people to, to go out and, and to patronize these establishments. Uh, thanks so much for the time today. Good luck with this. Thank you. Take care. Jason Thorne, General Manager for ECDAB for the City of Hamilton. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.